Yeah, uh, 2015. Can you believe it's um, almost over? Amen. All right. <laughs> okay. I asked for that, didn't I? Yeah, no, we can't. Yeah, yeah. you know, some years, it's kind of, I remember like 1987. That was a bad year. If 1987 was a fish, we'd throw it back. I mean, it was like that. And uh, 2015, in a lot of ways, has been a, has been a rough year, a really tough year for a lot of people and for the world. But um, a lot of exciting things are happening, really, really thrilling. What I'm going to talk about tonight is, is kind of a three-part well three part thing, looking back, looking forward, and looking up, because that's what we need to do. We're going to look back on 2015. We're going to look forward to 2016. But in doing so, we're going to look up, because that's where our focus should always be, in the God of the Bible. Um, I have a... Um, I got within the 20th century a couple months ago with a, a website called educatingourworld.com. Well, still not up yet. Uh, educatingourworld.com, which basically a couple things I do. Every day I do a 10-minute video blog, video message of the events of the day and talk about how they fit in a biblical perspective. Okay? So we kind of bring you up to date. And we also have a, a section called Stories We Are Following. If you don't want to watch the video, it's all there written out for you. Now, you can go to the past ones we've done. You can download them because every single day, every single day, far none, there are stories, stories that happen in our world that fit the framework of what the Bible says we should expect to see in the last days. In fact, as we're going to see tonight, it is so incredible. It is so uh, precise. It is literally mind-boggling. In the um, 24th chapter of the Gospel of Luke, Jesus, if you recall, the story unique to Luke, was um, joined two disciples on the road to Emmaus on the day of his resurrection on Easter Sunday. And remember, the Bible says their eyes were held back so they wouldn't recognize him. They didn't know it was Jesus. Um, they, were, they were two disciples of kind of the B team. You had the 11. Judas was already gone. He'd hanged himself. But you have another group of disciples, kind of the, not the inner circle, but the outer circle that were there. And these two people were, were part of that circle. And the 11 had stayed in Jerusalem, and they left to go to Emmaus on the day Jesus had come back from the dead. And Jesus joins them. And as he joins them, he, he asks them what they're talking about. Now, again, their eyes are held back. They can't recognize him, so they don't know they're talking to Jesus about Jesus. So we'll find out what they really think, right? And what they really think is that uh, Jesus let them down. Uh, Jesus said, you know, what are you discussing? And it's interesting. That it said they stopped with this look on their face saying, what are you talking about? What are we discussing? There's no other subject you know, we've had uh, events like that happen in the world. Many of you can remember November 22nd, 1963. If you were around at that time, you know exactly what you were doing when you heard the news. The President of the United States had been assassinated January 1986 when the Challenger blew up. And, of course, uh, uh, I'm sorry, this is the hard one, September 11th, 2001. That's, it's, uh, anyway, that's still, it's, I can hardly say that without tearing up. But anyway, we knew where we were at when we heard the news, right? And it was a thing that everybody talked about. It was a subject. Everybody talked. People would talk to complete strangers on the street with one conversation. Well, this is what they're saying to Jesus. What do you mean? Oh, that's, everybody's talking about this subject. Uh, the whole of Jerusalem shook, we're told, the Bible says, when he came in on, on Palm Sunday and then the events of his crucifixion. And then they go on to explain in an incomplete way what they believed about Jesus. He was a prophetic man, mighty in deed and word before God. And then they said this, we were hoping, we were hoping that he was going to redeem Israel. Obviously, they lost hope. They're already leaving Jerusalem on the day which these women reported that he'd come back from the dead. And then they share with, that, with Jesus that, uh, yeah, but some of the women from our group amazed us. Uh, early this morning, they came to the tomb. And a couple of, you know, uh, they had a saw a vision of angels, the way they reported it, who told them that he had risen. Some of our men came back and found it just as the women said, but they didn't see Jesus. Now, at that time, Jesus interrupts and he says this, Oh, slow in heart to believe all that the prophets had said. If you really like to underline in your Bible, it's always that word prophets, Luke 24, uh, 25. He said it was necessary, was it not, for the Christ first to suffer and then enter into his glory. And then it said, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. What Jesus was saying is this. If you would have read the whole 
book. If you would have read the entire scriptures, you would have known the Messiah was going to die. It was predicted, Isaiah 53, it was predicted. It was, you know, in signs, Exodus chapter 12 with the Passover, Abraham and Isaac on Mount Moriah, Genesis 22, foreseen in, in different, uh, you know, episodes there. And it's something they should have known. Daniel 9, 24 to 27, the Messiah is going to be killed. They didn't know because they didn't pay attention to everything that God had said. Now, when Paul wrote the first New Testament letter to the Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians 4.13, he said this, We don't want you to be ignorant, brothers and sisters. And he, then he goes on and explains on the rapture of the church. We don't want to be ignorant either, do we, of what's going on? We really don't. And thank God for this place, for Calvary Chapel. I was talking to Mike, you know, about this conference center. Uh, it was, we got it in 1975. 1975 was the first year I came up here for a retreat, a college and career retreat. And uh, it's, if it's once, I've been here at least probably 500 times over the years. And I love it every time I come up, especially when it's not snowing or raining hard. When I get up the mountain, uh, some of you can identify with that, right? But it's it's um, it, it's a wonderful place. And 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 the key is, it's always ta- we've always taught here the word of the living God. What we do here at this place is teach God's word. This is what was the foundation. It was laid with Pastor Chuck. It's continued on with Calvary Chapel, and it will continue the teaching of the word of God. And one of the things we always like to do on New Year's Eve is kind of look back and then look forward. So with that tradition, what I'm going to do is show you some things that are so completely mind-boggling to me, and hopefully they will be to you by the time we're done, that you will see that there is not only a God in heaven, but as Jesus told those disciples so long ago, you should know, you should have known these things at the times and the seasons. They should have known the Messiah was coming. We should know, seeing the events right now in the world, that it's getting near that time when the Messiah comes again. It's a very exciting time to be alive, isn't it, right now? We're going to talk about it. 19, uh, 2015, we're told the top story of the year, Associated Press, ISIS, the Islamic State, comes out of nowhere. It was initially called a JV group that was uh, not to be reckoned with. And um, all of a sudden, they've taken over large swaths of Iraq, of Syria. And as we know, they are a group to be reckoned with. Uh, when, when they started coming to the forefront, it's interesting how there's always, this always happens. You get people that come out of the woodwork and say, oh, we'll find a Bible verse that predicts the Islamic state. No, there's nothing there that does this, nothing. But they, as we're going to see tonight, they have a tremendous role. They really do in setting the stage for the last days, for the coming of the Lord. Amazingly so. So we're going to put together. I've done a thing on, on, the, on the website there. Uh, also, let's say a Facebook page, Education in World with Don Stewart. You can look at that, too, to get these updates. Fourteen signs were near the end. I'm not going to go through all 14 of them. I'm going to go through five of them because I want to show you in each one miraculous things. And I'm going to keep asking the same question. How did the writers of Scripture know this? How were they able to know what the world would be like not the first time, but the second time when the Lord comes again. Because not only did they predict the, the scenario, the background when Jesus came the first time, like he said, you should have known this would happen. They do the same thing the second time around. And they give us a broad picture, a framework of what you and I ought to expect. And not only, as we're going to see, the Bible gives this, but other people taking the Bible seriously have seen it also. So we're going to see some of these things. And I hope by the time we're done here, a couple of things will happen. Your confidence in God's word will go through the roof. You know that God not only exists, he knows the future. But here's the great thing. He's in control of the future. He's in control of your life and mine. And he's got everything in the palm of his hand. It's running completely according to his schedule. Nothing takes him by surprise, and nothing should uh, take us by surprise either. And so as we look at this, so what I'm going to do is go through some of these and talk about how literally amazing they are. The first of the 14 signs is concerns the nation Israel. Israel coming back to their ancient homeland and being in the world's spotlight. Israel coming back to their ancient homeland and finding itself in the world's spotlight. The Bible talks about a distinct group of people, a distinct nation that God chose to be his representatives here on the earth, and that is the nation of Israel, the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And again, we could go on for hours on just this one point. But to make a short story long, basically what we do know about, very good you are listening, I'm glad you're paying attention. Uh, but what we do know is that 4,000 years ago, God called a man named Abram out of 
the Ur of the Chaldees, and he made certain promises to him, about a dozen at least. And he said, I'm going to make a great nation from you. I'm going to bless those that bless you. I'm going to curse those that curse you. And from you, all the nations of the earth will, will be blessed. And he said this at a time when Abram and his wife had not any children, they didn't, any children to him. And as we know the story, they got beyond the childbearing years, but Isaac was supernaturally born to them, and the nation began. So God made these certain promises to this nation. Now, we get to the place when the nation grew to this large multitude of people, and as God promised, they were going to enter the specific land that God promised them. Deuteronomy 28 to 33, we have what is known as the Palestinian covenant. We need a better term than that. Palestinian is really not the best term, but that's what it traditionally been said. But it's the covenant God made with the land, with the Holy Land, the Holy Land covenant, we'll call it. And basically, he said this, uh, as long as you obey, you will remain in the land. When you're disobedient, you're going to get the heave-ho. You're going to be basically sent throughout the entire world. In the morning, you're going to wish it were the evening. In the evening, you're going to wish it were the morning. You'll find no rest for the sole of your feet. But God then said this, but because I'm faithful, I'm going to bring you back. I'm going to bring you back to the land. And what we've seen in history... Uh, This happened not only once, but twice. It's never happened to any other nation in the history of humanity, but it's happened twice to Israel. Once in AD 70, when they were, uh, excuse me, once in um, 606 BC, the first, uh, the Babylonian captivity, three different times, Nebuchadnezzar took the captives in 606 BC, then in 587 BC, destroyed the city and the temple, and the people were removed from the land. Uh, Prophet Jeremiah, uh, speaking for the Lord, said there's going to be a 70-year captivity, and the 70-year captivity exactly happened as the Bible said, 606 B.C. to 536 B.C. They came back, once removed, came back to their homeland. Never happened before in the history of the world. Happened once with Israel. But the second time was something more amazing. Jesus, when they rejected him, rejected them. And he said, uh, basically, in Matthew, remember the words in 2337, the city that kills the prophets and destroys those who are sent to her. He said, how often I wanted to gather you, 2337 to 39, as a mother hen gathers her brood or her chicks under your wing, but you weren't willing. Then he said this, your house, the temple, is left unto you desolate. Uh, you won't see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now, so a couple things here. He predicted destruction of the city and the temple, which happened, but he also said they're going to see him again. In other words, there was still hope, a hope that he would come again. Well, what happened was, as Jesus predicted, the city was destroyed, the temple was destroyed in AD 70, and the nation of Israel was now a nation in exile. There was no state of Israel, no political entity. And for some night. 1,800 years, the nation of Israel wandered as strangers and vagabonds across the face of the earth with no place to call home. Uh, You know, literally, uh, no rest for the sole of your feet, as Deuteronomy 28 to 33 said. And during that time, during that time, there was hope that someday, someday they would come back to their ancient homeland and form a modern state. And this is exactly what happened against all odds of history. The first miracle, May 14th, 1948, the modern state of Israel was reborn, but also something else the Bible talks about. They're not only going to come back, they're going to be in the world's spotlight. They're going to be something that the world takes note of. And this is exactly what we've seen happen. Now, some people say, well, look, you know, you see what the Bible says and you read back into the Bible, you know, events that take place. We've seen that happen before. There was no predictions of this happening. This is something that was really never predicted by Jesus or the prophets. It's just something that happened, coincidentally took place, and you read back into it. That's one of the uh, things. It's, you know, predictions after the fact about the Jews being restored to their ancient homeland. Let me read you. A man named William Blackstone wrote a book called Jesus is Coming. And here's what he said. But perhaps you say, I don't believe the Israelites are to be restored to Canaan and Jerusalem rebuilt. Dear reader, have you read the declarations of God's word about it? Surely nothing is more plainly stated in Scripture. Let me read that again to you. He says, perhaps you say, I don't believe the Israelites are to be restored to Canaan and Jerusalem rebuilt. Dear reader, have you read? Have you read the declarations of Scripture? Surely nothing more is plainly stated. William Blackstone, Jesus is Coming, written in the year 1880. 1,800 years after the Jews were removed from their homeland, where there is not a Jew literally in sight in the, in the Holy Land, still scattered throughout the entire world, and he wrote a book called Jesus is Coming. 
And he talked about the time when Israel would be regathered into its land. Now, why did he say it? Because he saw it happening? No, it wasn't happening at all. He said it for one reason and one reason alone. The book said it's going to happen because Jesus said, you will see me again. And Jerusalem will be trodden down by the Gentiles, Luke's gospel tells us, until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled, which is still something that's going to happen in the future, by the way. But they're going to come back, according to Scripture, as we're going to talk about, in unbelief of Jesus to their ancient homeland. So first, they're going to come back in unbelief. And then some things are going to happen to them that are going to cause them to look up and believe in Jesus as the Messiah. But before that happens, they're going to have the worst time ever in their history, called the time of Jacob's trouble, or as Matthew 24, 21 says, the great tribulation period. So the first thing here is this. They, they're going to come back to their land in an unconverted state. I've got, uh, you know, I could do this one all night, uh, got an 18th century commentator, Elhanan Winchester, making the point that when they come back, they're going to come back unconverted. They're going to come back on their own because when they come back, they're coming back to a period of great tribulation. And God certainly wouldn't let them go through that if they newly had been converted or trusted him. In other words, there's a time they come back on their own in the land in unbelief, and then the great tribulation period happens. And then, and then they turn to Christ after certain things take place. Now, what have we seen? We've seen Israel back in the land. We see them in the world's spotlight today against all odds of history. And remember, never in the history of the human race has a nation been removed from their homeland and come back. Never once. It's happened twice to Israel. Once for 70 years, once for 1,900 years. It was not only predicted in Scripture. It was predicted by people who took the Bible seriously when they didn't see it happening in front of their eyes. And here's the question. How do they know? How do they know? They weren't prophets or sons of prophets. William Blackstone, how do you know? The book says so. The book doesn't lie. The book is the word of God. So that's number one, Jerusalem in the spotlight. Uh, to this day, the Jews in their ancient homeland. In fact, there was a story today, if we had time to go into that one, that they're on high alert right now because this terrorist they killed a week or so ago, Hezbollah terrorist there in Lebanon, uh, the leader of Hezbollah has basically told his friends, his you know the clients, he's a client state of Iran and Russia, that they're going to do something, some terrorist attack in Israel. Hezbollah has got 80,000 missiles you know, a level, uh, you know, aimed at Israel from the northern border there, Lebanon and Syria. And uh, so they're on high war alert. This just came out this afternoon today, this story. And so, um, believe me, never a dull moment in this world at all. And uh, the, the guy, the leader, could not be talked out of it because they, they killed one of his top lieutenants and he's going to do something back, some terrorist attack in Israel. And, and well, stay tuned. We'll see what happens. But anyway, Israel's in the spotlight. They're in the spotlight. They always are. Okay, number two, preparations to build a third temple. Preparations to build a third temple. Not only is Israel going to come back to their ancient homeland, someday they're going to offer sacrifices. They're going to build a temple. They're going to, and, and that shows, obviously, they're an unbelief of Jesus because we don't need sacrifices. We need a temple. Well, they're going to do that someday. They are indeed going to do it because the Bible said so. When Jesus was asked for a sign of his coming, a specific sign, uh, when his, after he predicted the destruction of the city and the temple, he pointed to Ma in Matthew's gospel, 2415, he says, when you see the abomination that causes desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel. Uh, Daniel 9, 27, 12, 11 basically talks about this event that will take place in the temple where the sacrifices are stopped. And Daniel 12, 11 says something really interesting. At the time the sacrifices are stopped, you can start marking time, 1,290 days, and God's kingdom will come to earth at that time, a three-and-a-half-year period. And again, that marks the midpoint of the last seven-year period called the 70th week of Daniel or the Great Tribulation. Well, anyway, it assumes to, again, if, if, if the sacrifices are going to be stopped, they have to be started in the first place, right? And to start them, you have to have a temple have a temple, you have to have Jews, you have to have Jews in Jerusalem, you have to have them owning the real estate, you have to have them being a modern state. There's about eight things that need to happen for, for this to be fulfilled. And five of the eight have already taken place right now. The Jews are back in their ancient homeland. They're back in unbelief of Jesus. They have East Jerusalem in their control. They, the Temple Mount, which is in East Jerusalem, they, you know, it's, well, that's a whole other story. It's in their control in a sense, although they've given the custodianship over to the Islam, um, which has had it you know, for, you know, since about the uh, seventh century. But bottom line is 
It's in a territory that they have conquered. They conquered in the 1967 war. So what we have, what we have here now in, in Scripture is a prediction, another prediction, that not only are they going to come back to the land, but they're going to build a temple, offer sacrifices. Can you imagine this in the 21st century, offering animal sacrifices again in Israel? Well, is this something that can happen, It's going to happen? Um, again, we're making this up after the fact, right? We're, th- again, we're saying, no, no, this is not something the Bible ever predicted. You guys are reading something in there that's not there. Let me read you another quotation. While then the temple had been destroyed at the date of the writing of the book of Revelation, it's approximately 8090, was hereby predicted that it would be rebuilt, predicted that the temple would be rebuilt till the Jew is brought back to his own land and the temple and the sacrifice is restored. The prophetic part of the book of Revelation does not begin till the Jew is brought back to his own land and the temple and sacrifice is restored. This part of Revelation does not begin. Robert Govett, commentary on the book of Revelation, 1861. 1861. How did he know that? How did he know that someday they're not only going to come back to the land, they're going to try and restore the sacrificial system? And again, this right now, the 25th anniversary of the Temple Institute, whose one goal in life is to build a third temple and restore the sacrificial uh, uh, sacrifices there in the nation of Israel, right in front of our eyes. In fact, last year, let me read this, they had an online campaign in July of uh, 2014, I don't know if you heard about this, to build a third temple. And this was the headline they had. The Temple Institute launches a campaign to build a third temple under the title don't make history, make the future. They're an organization in Jerusalem which works toward the rebuilding of the third temple, and they began this revolutionary campaign through crowdfunding to literally rebuild the temple. Headlines under the title, Don't Make History, Make the Future, Build the Third Temple. The campaign promises that this generation of children is, quote, ready to see the center of Jewish worship rebuilt once and for all. Their campaign, it says, aims to bring speculations about the building of the temple to something practical and to fruition. Here's what they say. Now is the time for one of the most ambitious projects yet, completing architectural plans for its actual construction. Fusing ancient text and modern technology, the campaign description states, while adhering, this is interesting here at this point, strictly to the religious requirements set forth in biblical text, The third temple will also be equipped with every modern amenity. Dig this. Full computerization, underground parking, temperature control. We like that one here. All right. Elevators, docks for public transportation, wheelchair access, and much more. Close quote. (laughs) I knew he was going to say that then. Very good. Touche. The Temple Institute has engaged an architect to map out the, as practically as possible the modern, uh, the modern Third Temple's construction, and they raised, I think they raised like $125,000 for it. That was last year. They trained the Kohanim, the priests there. They're all ready. They just need to get the real estate. But again, let me ask you the question. <laughs> Jesus, 2,000 years ago, predicted the sign of his coming would be the abomination that causes desolation. Uh, yeah, a desecration in the temple. Assumes the temple is built, offers sacrifices and functioning. Robert Govet, 1861, says in going through the book of Revelation, well, until they come back to the land, because there weren't no Jews back in 1861, build a temple. This part can't be fulfilled. Well, they've come back, and they're making preparations. Here's the question. How do these guys know this? How do they know it? How do they know it's going to happen? It wasn't happening in front of their eyes. One reason, one reason alone. They had the book. So sign number two, the preparations to build the third temple. And again, that's a whole other story in and of itself. All right. Now, here's the ones I really want to get to, the exciting ones, because these are the ones that are happening right now in front of our very eyes. And I hope I can make this clear enough and explain it well enough where the wow factor will really, really grab you. And hopefully it will. 2015, we saw some horrific events. We saw the terrible, terrible tragedy that happened, the terrorist attacks in the city of Paris. Um, I was sitting there. I was about ready. It was the the Friday to get to work uh, on some of my books, and all of a sudden the news came across the wire 
So I sat in the chair. I think I sat there for five hours without moving, watching all that had gone on, mind-boggling, uh, heartbreaking, all that took place. And we know the story. Some 130 people were murdered by Islamic terrorists uh, in coordinated attacks, very coordinated attacks in the city of Paris. It could have been an awful lot worse had not certain things happened. In fact, as an interesting aside there, um, we um, that happened on Friday. I was speaking at one of the local churches in the area, and I, I, I talked to the associate pastor, and I said, i got to change my talk for Sunday morning. He said, I was thinking the exact same thing. you got to talk about this. So I talked about it and put it in perspective, like what I'm doing right now with you, gang. And um, after the first service, he came up to me. He said, there's a man in the church who was, you know, who was very well uh, known in Calvary Chapel. He's been going here for years. Uh, he said his, his grandkids, his two granddaughters, were in Paris, are in Paris. And he said uh, they were at the football stadium, the soccer stadium, where that one terrorist attack took place. Um, they were there. But he said the only reason they were there is because two hours earlier someone gave them the tickets to go to that match because previously they had planned, because they had tickets, to go to the concert there that night. Yeah, yeah. And he, all he knew was they were supposed to go to the concert. He didn't know what happened with the, you know, the stadium. And uh, they couldn't get a hold of them for a while, you can imagine. But then the grace of God, there, isn't that something? They had tickets to go to that concert. And at the last minute, someone offered him tickets to go to the soccer match. Now oh, let's go watch that. And they went there instead. And uh, incredible. I mean, this, there's so many mind-boggling things going on. Anyway, um, we saw the Islamic State do that, the Paris attack. Uh, right afterwards, uh, uh, the next Wednesday, I do a uh, team teaching in uh, Wednesday in Tustin with Barry Stagner, Calvary Tustin. And we spent the time, you know, discussing this because yeah, everybody's, you know, frazzled by all this. You know, it's, you know this, this is here in the Western world like this. It's so awful seeing this happen. And as we were talking, I said, you know, I want to tell you something. I'm not a prophet. I'm not a son of a prophet. But let me tell you this. It's going to happen here. It's going to come to America. I guarantee it. It's not just going to happen to Paris. Come, come here. Now, I didn't know it was going to come so soon and so close. I, I really didn't know that. But we knew it was coming. Now, we know things like this are going to happen because, again, the Bible says so. It teaches us these things. But this is where I want you to, if you can see the wonderful plan of God, how all these pieces are coming together, how it's working out to see how he's in control. I think you're going to go away tonight thinking, wow, what a wonderful Savior, what a wonderful Lord we have. Put this in perspective. The Islamic State is a, you know, a group of uh, Sunni Muslims. There's two different types of Muslims, Sunni and Shia, generally speaking. Sunnis make up 90% of the Muslims in the world, Shia 10%. Iran is Shia, Shia Muslims. Uh, the Islamic State are uh, Sunnis. The Sunnis and Shias have been killing each other since the 7th century, each believing they're the rightful successor to Muhammad. Uh, the Sunni idea is to, in boots on the ground, we have this worldwide caliphate. We're going to start here in Iraq and Syria. We're going to move it to the entire world. In other words, we're going to do it by uh, you know, basically building our kingdom right here, and we'll expand to the entire world and bring Islam to the entire world. Uh, Shia Islam has a whole different view. That's Iran. It's a whole other story there. Uh, no, they're just going to blow uh, to, out to smithereens the two Satans in the world, the great Satan, which is us, the United States, the little Satan, which is Israel. That's why they've been working on uh, nuclear weapons. That's why they've been enriching uranium. That's why I've been testing ballistic missiles. Um, about eight or ten months ago, there was a p Channel 2 of Israel had a picture of a uh, missile in Iran, 88 foot high outside the plain of Tehran that was there. They got a picture of it. Uh, that, my friends, is an intercontinental ballistic missile they're working on. Not just hit Israel. That, they're looking to get us, too. And they've, they've, they're not making any... Well, they are now with a smiling face guy. Remember the last guy after dinner jacket? Remember the last uh, leader of Iran before he got Rouhani? Ahmadinejad is the name. After dinner jacket, it's easy to remember his name. But anyway, this guy, you know, you know what I mean. The, the, the guy, he's, we're going to blow up America, this and that. And then they got a smiley face guy now. It looks like Gabby Hayes. Somebody remember who he is. Uh, that's the new leader of Iran. And he's all smiles. And, oh, we're going to be friendly to the West. And the West is buying it. We got this lousy agreement. Bottom line is their goal is to destroy us, too. And, but they're killing each other in the meantime. Now, here's what is fascinating, and here's why all of this makes so much sense biblically, and here's why it's so incredible where the Islamic State comes in, because it's going to fit sign three, four, and five of the 14 signs. Three is the lineup of the nations of Ezekiel 38 and 39. 
continue lining up these nations. They're going to attack Israel. Four is the non-involvement of certain nations that are right there in the geographical area that should be involved that aren't involved. In other words, you've got some nations that are predicted coming down, others that are conspicuous by their absence. The number five, no superpower in the world at this particular time. What we're going to see what's happened recently is just basically filling all this out. All right. Here's what went on. Uh, it happened on a Friday there in Paris. The day before, on Thursday, we ha- there was a, a battle that took place. No, excuse me, not a battle. There was a, a bombing that took place in Beirut, Lebanon, the worst one that had happened in years. What it, there was a, uh, again, it's very similar to Paris, coordinated three suicide bombers. They killed a number of people there. A uh, number of people were injured. And here's the thing. Uh, Beirut, Lebanon, that area, is, uh, you know, basically a proxy state of Iran where the, the Shia Muslims are in control running it. The uh, Sunnis, though, the, the group, ISIS is the one that blew up this, uh, you know, big city there in the Shia heartland. And it was literally mind-boggling they were able to do it. And here was the headline on Fox News. This is interesting. It said, this is a potential game changer because now as the Islamic State has gone so much now into, we've got, uh, um, you know, into Lebanon and Syria and that and Iraq, they're, they're a force to be reckoned with, all right? The next day, the next morning, our president had done an interview the day before George Stephanopoulos, and he said this, ISIS has been contained. The Islamic State has been contained. Remember that? And that night was the Paris attacks after he said that. All right. Uh, Very, very bad timing. But right before that, two other events happened that didn't make much of the news. One of them did. The Sharm el-Sheikh, remember on October 31st, um, a little bit before the plane, 224 Russians killed leaving Egypt, found out it's a terrorist attack by the Islamic State, by ISIS. Uh, A couple days before that, in Syria, there was this battle for the city of Aleppo, Syria. And the Iranian army, there were 3,000 Iranian soldiers that had gone into Syria to fight against the Islamic State. Six battalions, uh, 2,000 of their best crack troops were going to fight this JV group, the Islamic State. In doing so, they had the Syrian army, Hezbollah with them, and Russian air cover. And they're just going to go in and march into, you know, Aleppo and take it over. Well, what happened is they were basically destroyed. I mean, they had to turn tail and run, so much so that the defense minister of Iran had to get on Iranian TV and explain what they're doing in Syria in the first place because it was such a devastating loss. So you couple this with what happened with Russia, again, against Russia, this this disaster, this this terrorist act, with what happened there in Iran, and then how they were able in Beirut to do something on. You know, didn't know about it. No one knew. It was under the radar. It blew up, you know, the, uh, a very important part of the city. Then the next night in Paris, these people are to be reckoned with. They are not, uh, you know, there's some simple group that's going to pass away quickly. So what has been the result of this? And this is why this is so mind-boggling how we see the Bible prove itself to be exactly what it claims to be, the word of the living God. Here's what's taken place. Russia, because of this, Vladimir Putin is not a person who talks. He's a person who acts. What they have done right now, Russia now has four bases, four military bases, two in Iraq, two in Syria. Now, they're in northern part of Syria. They're about 140 miles from the Israeli border because Syria butts up against, you know, the border there between Israel and Syria. Uh, are there? They're, they border each other. In northern Syria is one of the bases there. It's only 140 miles or so as the crow flies from the Israeli border. Putin has conscripted 150,000 troops. They're not there all yet, but he's put Russian troops. Russian troops are now fighting alongside Iranian troops against the Islamic State and against these also Syrian groups that are trying to overthrow Assad. Because Syria is this horrific, horrific, uh, well, the country's in a horrific state because Bashar Assad, this uh, maniacal leader, you know, has literally killed over 250,000 this war of his own people the last few years. 13 million, 10 to 13 million people have been displaced. This is the whole refugee problem in Europe and here because of his murderous regime supported by both Iran and by Russia. Well, you've got these people in Syria fighting Assad, but also the Islamic State's there. So under that guise to fight the Islamic State, Russia now, and they are fighting them, they've got military bases there. 
they had put on the coast of Syria. They brought a submarine there, the largest one in the world. This submarine has 120 nuclear weapons on it, nuclear warheads, okay? Um, it's big. They've got another submarine there that can, that can shoot either ballistic missiles or, you know, nuclear missiles that's also off the coast there. They are serious. They are there to stay. They are there, and so is Iran because of what happened, how they were humiliated. They know that this is not going to be an easy deal. So here's what's going on. Here's what's so interesting. Because of that, they're establishing themselves militarily there right above the Israeli border in Syria. In fact, in an article two days ago, Israel now is afraid of fighting, you know, uh, these rebels in, in, in southern Lebanon off the Israel, Israel's northern border because there's Russian planes flying all the time uh, right over the border of Israel. So, remember, Ezekiel 38 and 39 talks about a coalition of nations that will invade someday, and two of the main nations are Russia and Iran. Now, here's what else is fascinating about this. Russia and Iran, modern-day Russia, modern-day Iran, have never been in a military alliance once in their history until today. It's the first time ever a military alliance. And where are they allied together? They're in uh, Syria right above Israel. And so instead of having to come, because this is one of the things we wondered about for years, this is going to be a boots-on-the-ground attack. But if Russia, that's a long way away from Israel. Uh, Iran's a long way away. They're not next door. And with you know modern satellite technology, if there's any type of movement of troops, everybody's going to see it. No surprise. But if you have military bases right on the border and you're fighting this other group and you're doing exercises all the time, wouldn't take much, would it, to turn south and attack Israel at this particular time? So they are setting the stage for us right now by being there. Now, not only that, but again, to give you an idea how everything is so close together there, it, it literally is amazing. If you haven't been to Israel, I'm going to give you a, an illustration of what we all see there. If you have been, you're going to know what I'm talking about. One of the things we do in Israel, we stay in Tiberias, the Sea of Galilee, and then we take about an hour and a half bus ride. We stop a few places up to the border of Israel and Syria and Lebanon, the Golan Heights. And usually there's a few stops on the way, and if it's wintertime and we've done this, in the afternoon, in the afternoon, late afternoon, early evening, we get out of the bus, and the guide says, I want you to stand over here, and I want you to look off in the distance and see these lights. And he says, do you know what they are? And we say, of course we don't. That's why we're tourists. You're the guide. You're supposed to tell us. What do we see? We don't know what we're seeing. There's a bunch of lights in the city. And then he tells us this. Those lights that you see now on the Israeli border are the lights of Damascus, Syria. You are closer now to Damascus than you are to the hotel you stayed at last night. That's how close everything is. And, yeah, we're talking very, very close. So what you have now is not only Iran and Russia, which are predicted to attack Israel. Now they don't have to have an armada come down as they're building up military bases and, and, and munitions fighting against the Islamic State and actually trying out some of their new advanced weapons. They're right there geographically. They're already on the ground, and they will continue to be there. And they could be there for, you know, for however long it takes, years it might be, putting themselves in a position to attack you know, right from the nation above this. And why are they there? Because of the Islamic State, because they're not easy to be removed, because they not only you know, blew up the Russian plane, they, they, they thrashed these Iranian troops. And so to get to rid them, to root them out, they've got to be there. They've got to be seriously there for a long-term commitment. But what that does, it sets the stage for this attack that the Bible predicts against Israel. But as they say in the infomercials, there is more, okay? Just two days ago, two days ago, Turkey. Now, Turkey is an interesting country here. Turkey uh, was once a great friend of Israel. Turkey is a member of NATO. Turkey is also listed in this Ezekiel 38 scenario, but they've been at loggerheads against Israel for the last number of years. It, you know, it's sad because Israel used to take their vacations in Turkey. They had a really great relationship. And here's a little bit of the background. For 100 years, Turkey has been a secular nation. For 400 years, they ruled the Holy Land. They ruled vast swatches of land in the Middle East and beyond, about a million square miles of the Ottoman Empire ruling. After World War I, it was broken up, and Turkey became a secular nation. It's been that for 100 years. But this latest uh, ruler, ruler, leader, Erdogan, is turning it back to an Islamic uh, rule, an Islamic state, Islamic mentality, and trying to bring him back to the glory days. 
Turkey now has been, again, at, like I said, at loggerheads with Israel. But what Turkey now recently has tried to make a deal to make nice with Israel so they could get back into a relationship. And this has been floated around the last couple of weeks. But two days ago, Turkey made a demand. We will only relate, you know, put our relationships back together with you if you give us unfettered or complete access to the Gaza Strip. Where is the Gaza Strip? Israel's southern border. Now, you got already Iran and Russia on the northern border. Turkey wants to put themselves right there on the southern border of Israel. I mean, this, you can't make this stuff up. And we don't know what's going to happen there. But here now are three of the nations mentioning to invade Israel. Uh, two of them already there. The third one's, you know, and under the guise of what well, would we'll be friends here, what is coming Gaza, which is, again, right there on Israel's southern border. Now, here is what is so fascinating about this. Two things here. Not only, not only does the Bible say these nations are going to invade, there's a hook in the jaw there, something that brings them down to Israel, something that they need, that Israel has, they want, but also they need. October 7th of this year, the announcement was made in the Golan Heights, the Golan Heights, which again is the border there between Israel and Syria, was held by Syria from 1948 to 1967. In the 67 war, Israel took it over. The United Nations has never recognized that. Syria still claims it to be their territory. October 7th this year, an announcement was made by one of these groups that had been drilling for oil in Israel, and they said they have found an oil reserve there that could be incredible. Usually they say that the, 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 the depth of it is like 30, their metric system, 30 to 35 meters deep. This oil reserve looks like it's 350 meters deep. It could literally supply Israel for decades, if not centuries, of their own energy needs. Where is it? On the Golan Heights, on the border of Israel and Syria, on territory that Syria still claims to be their own. The United Nations still recognizes Syria's right to it. Israel you know, threw them back in the 67 war. And the U.S. has never recognized Israel's right to the ownership of the land, by the way, uh, too. And so right there, uh, this could be an enormous amount of wealth on the border in a disputed land. And who's right there? Iran and Russia, right there, already there with their soldiers there. Could this be what they're looking for? In other words, the spoil, like Pastor Chuck used to say, you take off the SP and you got what they're looking for. There's oil there. That could very much be what's there. And again, right now in front of our very eyes, this seems to be what's going on. So you, we know what's happening. Now, here's the, the, the thing that everybody asks. Well, where in the world is the U.S. in all of this? Well, we're nowhere. And this is something that is predicted in Scripture. It's been in the last couple, three years that I've been asked to do, um, you know, talks on the last days, this and that. As many of you know, we did a program, Pastor Chuck and I, World News Briefing on his channel for many, many years. Barry's now, Staggered is now doing it. I'm doing some of my own stuff, like I said, on the website, this and that. And, um, you know, we used to talk about these things going to take place, going to happen. And making predictions. We used to say, look, we're not prophets. We're not sons of prophets. Here's what the Bible says. Here's what we expect to see someday. And we see these things happening right in front of our very eyes. And one of the things a few years ago that caught my attention is this. I'm reading Ezekiel 38 and 39. In fact, I was teaching it for the first time. I've never taught through it before. And I'm thinking, wait a minute now. Something's wrong here with this picture. Why in the world will Russia, Iran, all these other nations come down against Israel and the U.S. won't defend them I, I, because they don't have a friend in the world. The only, only pro, there's just a few nations, you know, the Saudis and others protesting. Where's the U.S. in all this? And I'm thinking, hmm, what does this mean? Well, it means at that time the U.S. will not be a player on the world scene. We will not be a superpower. We will not be able militarily, economically, morally, spiritually, uh, you really, whatever, to, in, to uh, stand on the side of Israel. In other words, we won't have their back. So it, it, you, the U.S. then has to go to its demise or has to shrink as a superpower. It has to, uh, to, to fulfill this. And I say this with a broken heart, but this seems to be the scenario that's there. Well, what do we see right now? We've seen the Obama administration abandon the Middle East and let Russia and Iran come over and take over in this vacuum there. And it's already happened. We're already basically given it up. It's gone. And we are totally not respected in this world. Did you see the story two days ago uh, in the Straits of Hormuz, this, you know, the, the, the traffic lane with all the oil. There was American ships there in Iran 
gave a 23-minute warning, hey, we're going to do some practicing with live fire. And one missile came within 1,500 yards of the, of the, of the carrier there, the, the American one right there. And Iran says, oops, oh, sorry. You know, and, and we don't do anything. We don't do, I mean, nothing. And we go on and on with the insults that's going on, still death to America after we made this agreement with him. And so the U.S. fulfills also that. Sign number five, no superpower in the world. So as we see Iran... Syria and maybe even Iran, uh, Russia, maybe Turkey, uh, lining up right near the border of Israel. We see the other nations conspicuous by their absence that also, Egypt's not involved, interesting. They're on the border. They've been in every single war against Israel, but they're not going to be in that one. They're not on the side of these people right now. Saudis, they, they're afraid of Iran. And they're standing by on the wayside. And then we also see the United States of America not being a player in these last days. All of these things, exactly as the Bible says, exactly predicted, the scenario was set up. And as Jesus said so long ago, aren't you going to believe all that the prophets have said? All right. Again, we could go on and on and on. There's so much. I just want to, I'm out of time. I want to wrap it up here. Just a couple of things. I just think about this for a second. How in the world, number one, did not only the Bible know, but people who took the Bible seriously know that Israel would still exist in the year 2015. The other nations that Israel fought and you know over, they don't exist anymore. There's no Philistines anymore, no Amorites, Hittites, Hivites. You know, they're all gone. They're they're gone. How did that how did that happen? How did a guy like William Blackstone know in 1880 that someday Israel would come back to the land? How about a temple built and sacrifices like the Temple Institute last year's got their architectural plans going. How did uh, Robert Govet in 1861 know that not only they would come back to the land, but they'd build a temple someday and offer sacrifices? How in the world did the writers of Scripture know that uh, there would be an invasion in the last days of Israel when Israel, now get this, when Israel comes back to its ancient homeland that's been devastated, devastated by wars for many years to a desolate area, builds it up, and this little tiny nation that has so much, uh, you know, has basically a little, so, so, so little, in other words, it's, Israel is so small that when you have a map of, of that area of the world, you write the name Israel out in the Mediterranean Sea. You can't even write it in the landmass. The landmass is so small. And you've got all these nations around it uh, that are going to attack because this little nation has great wealth, something these other nations want and they need. That's what the Bible says is going to happen when they come back in unbelief before the Lord shows himself to them. And that's what's set up right now. And there's other nations there that are conspicuous by their absence, the nations that border Israel. They're not involved in this. Why not? There's reasons for all of that. And then no superpower to intervene. All of these things predicted in Scripture, just as the Bible says, we see it right in front of our very eyes. In um, the 48th chapter of the book of Isaiah, the sixth verse, when the Lord was talking about predicting the future, he said this, he said, now you have heard all the evidence. Will you not admit that what I say is true? Now you've heard all the evidence. Will you not admit that what I say is true? And, you know, here, here's the bottom line. We serve a God that has laid it out for us in such a way that, I mean, it's literally, literally mind-boggling. Again, right according to pattern here, we see it all taking place. Uh, if you recall, Pastor Chuck used to tell the story. Um, about the time in, he was up in the northern border of Israel in the, in the 70s, early 70s to mid-70s. And he's talking with his Israeli generals. And he says, fellas, it's not here in Syria that you need to be worried about. It's not this Lebanese war that's going on. The people you need to be worried about is Iran. They're going to be the ones that you need to worry about. Chuck says when he told them this, they laughed at him. They said, Chuck, Iran is our best friend. Iran is the nation that resupplied us in the, the recent war, 73, Yom Kippur War. If it wasn't for Iran, uh, we wouldn't exist. No, it's not from Iran. It's these other nations. Chuck said, no, no, it's going to happen. Iran is going to become your worst enemy. Well, a few years later, the Shah was deposed. Ayatollah Khomeini took over. The Islamic State of Iran was founded. And as Chuck used to tell the story, he started getting these phone calls from these generals in Israel saying, well, what's going to happen next? You know, what, what, what do we expect next? <laughs> and again, he said, look, I'm not a prophet. 
I'm not a son of a prophet. It's in the book. God tells us it's going to happen. God told us Iran was going to turn. God told us Turkey was going to turn. They've all turned. But a few years ago, you'd think, Turkey, they're a great friend of Israel. No, they had to turn. Iran, 40 years ago, if we were doing this talk, thinking, you're crazy. Iran evading Israel? Look at what happened today. Sooner or later, God's word always comes to pass. All right. All that to say this. There's so many things we could look at. This is the, literally the proverbial tip of the iceberg, all that's going on. But it's an exciting time to be alive because we are seeing it happen right in front of our very eyes. And I like to say, you know, people living like 100 years ago, Blackstone, Govet, 150 years ago, they had to exercise faith. All we have to do is open our eyes and read the newspaper and look at the, you know, and see what's going on. Now, but here's where it's so practical. As we're going to 2016, I want you to know this. It's going to get worse and worse in a lot of areas. We haven't seen the end of it. In fact, if you would, if you just sit back and think and uh, where the world's been uh, seven years ago until today, how it's changed, it's, it's literally mind-boggling what we've seen, and not for the better, in the last seven years. And we're going to see more and more of this as we get closer to the coming of the Lord. But know this. There's a God in heaven. There's a God in control. There's a God who's running the whole show. And so as we're ending one year, beginning in a new year, we're going to see things happen probably in 2016 if we'd meet here again at the end of this year. Uh, and 365 days, you know, it's the year, 366 days. If we come back a year from now, if all of us are here, some of us are here, whatever, we probably would not believe, not be able to believe what happened in 2016. A year ago, into 2014, the last night, who would have thought of a terrorist attack in San Bernardino, California, that captured worldwide attention? Who would have thunk something like that? Any of us? No. But that's exactly what it has. Islamic terrorism hits there in San Bernardino, California. Mind-boggling, isn't it? And so who knows what's going to happen? Well, God knows. That's the good news because he knows he is in control. He's not only in control of the world. Let me personalize it here as I close. He's in control of your life and my life. He's got every detail. He knows what's going to happen. So the key is don't worry. He's got it in his hand. We see him in control of all things. That includes your life and my life. So as we go into this next year, don't sweat it. Realize this, that God is running the show. Nothing is out from his hand. All these things are happening as Scripture predicted, but it's going to an end. And I will close with the words of Billy Graham when he was once asked by a person, by a reporter, Dr. Graham, are you an optimist or a pessimist? And Billy Graham said, I'm an optimist. And the man said, why? And Billy says, because I've read the last chapter of the book of Revelation, and we win. All right. Let's pray.